You may be seated. Well, today we continue our series called Cross Currents, and in this series we're just taking a look at an item from from, uh, current culture or news, and we're considering a biblical point of view. In the first week of this series, we explored the topic of money. Money is always in the news. Last week, we explored what it means to, to wait with God. And our topic this week is a topic that is, at least for the time being, all around us. If you drive around any neighborhood, you're sure to see Halloween decorations with ghosts and goblins, with a, a dash of skeletons and spiders thrown in for good measure. And tomorrow night, Lee Street here in Old Town and Captain's Quarters and some others will be teeming, Captain's Row, I think his name, not Captain's Quarters, Captain's Row, will be teeming with kids of all ages dressed up in all kinds of costumes and all sorts of things. Some people take Halloween decorations more seriously than Christmas decorations. I don't know what that says about our culture. But one of the things we do know is that Halloween is a very big business. According to an article I read online, Halloween has become a 10 billion, that's B, billion with a B, 10 billion dollar business a year. So for example, a 12-foot skeleton like some of those that are on Captain's Row right now will set you back $299, as would a hovering witch and a nine and a half foot werewolf, and that's not the one from London. And of course, then there's all the candy. By the way, candy is up 14% higher than last year. So there's going to be a lot of money spent on candy this year. There's something about this evening of pretend, donning a costume to project a different image to the world for a day. Let me ask you, by show of hands, how many of you dressed up for Halloween when you were a kid? How many of you ever remember what you were? It's interesting, you know, we don't remember too much, but sometimes we remember what we were. Well, today our topic is not Halloween, and it is not even what the Bible has to say about evil spirits and devils and demons. What I would like for us to do this morning is I would like for us to zero in on this idea of bearing an image. Bearing an image is not just for Halloween, As lovers of God and as followers of Jesus, we are called to bear an image not just one day out of the year, but 365, 24-7. Let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And let's take a look at this concept of bearing an image to the world. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every 
green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. In this extraordinary text, right from the beginning of the beginnings, we see our call to be an image bearer in the world. We see our call to bear the image of God all the time. Not just one day out of the year, but all the time. And let me just get this out on the table. Once you grasp God's holy call for you as an image bearer in the world around you, your life will be radically elevated and radically changed. Let's take a closer look. For example, we learn in this text that you were made for relationships. That you were made for relationships. You'll notice in the text the use us and our in verse 26. Let us make humankind in our image. Now, we don't know for sure the reason behind the plural rather than the singular. The ancient church fathers thought this was a reference to the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Others believe it was simply a, a cultural distinction. But either way, we know that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was with God in the beginning. And we know that God has always existed in this divine sense of community and relationship. Therefore, since we are made in the image of God, we are also made to live and to thrive in relationships. And when we're not in healthy relationships, we don't thrive. Now, let me suggest three types of relationships that we can see here. First of all, as you can already draw, we were made to be in relationship with God. Unlike the, the pagan gods of ancient culture, God is not an impersonal, distant deity. God deeply desires. It's, it's the best news of the Bible. From cover to cover, we see that God deeply desires to be in a personal relationship with his creation. Abraham was called a friend of God. That's pretty personal. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. He leads me. He comforts me. That's pretty personal. The psalmist writes, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That is personal. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. That is personal. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world he gave. That is very personal. And in our text, don't miss this, in our text, right after we're told that we're made in the image of God, it is no surprise then that we're told in verse 29 that God says, okay, now I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to, to nurture you. I'm going to provide what you need to sustain life. What a loving God. Right here in this majesty of creation, we also see this personal touch. You were made to be in a relationship with God. And this has also another dimension. A guy named Mike Breen has written about this. He writes, the word translated image also means imprint. And so when God made us, God pressed the imprint of his presence on us. Speaking figuratively, it is as though God left his handprint in the clay from which we were formed. Imagine a child 
when they would make their, their handprint on a, a piece of clay or even on a, a painting on a piece of paper, and you see that. But imagine the clay and the child's handprint there. His presence, Breen writes, was always meant to fill human existence and experience. And it is only when we live in a reconciled relationship with God that we can be truly human. When we're walking with God's hand on our lives, we walk with this sense of wholeness and alignment with all who God created us to be. It is when we are our true self. It's when we're walking in joyful, glad communion with God, with God's hand on us and filling that image or that imprint that God intended. Now do we understand why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when we are in this reconciled relationship with God, we are also truly aligned to who we're supposed to be. It is how we are whole in the world around us. This brings us to our second relationship. We were made to be in relationship with others. We are incredibly social creatures. We need one another to thrive. Some of us need to be around a lot of people. Others of us can thrive with just a few close relationships. But we all need close relationships. We need to know there are people in our lives who love us and who care for us. We need to know there are people in our lives who will carry us when we are down. People in our lives who we will carry when they are down. We were meant to thrive when we serve others. Uh, You've seen all the news reports, but it bears mentioning here. During COVID-19, seniors that lived in care facilities were not only vulnerable to the disease, but they suffered incredibly because of the isolation. Many of them lost friends to COVID, especially early on. They had increased anxiety and depression due to turnover in caregivers. Many were cut off from family, and many lost physical and mental capacity, some simply due to the isolation, cut off from meaningful relationships. And so we see we are meant to be in relationship with God. We are meant to live in relationship with one another, and we are meant to be in relationship. Get this, there's one more in the created order. We were meant to live in relationship with the created order. Now, I'm not saying, I saw this, I saw this video on Facebook, I had to show it to you. It, it's so cute. I didn't turn up the sound. He's singing to the donkey, okay? Okay, so I, and the, look at that donkey. I mean, that donkey's having, man, everybody wants to take a nap when you look at that donkey. Now, I'm not saying you need to go hug a donkey, okay? The donkey may not like it, okay? And it may not be good for you. But what we read in this foundational text, Michael, you can go ahead and move that. They won't pay attention to me. Okay, there we go. Thank you. What we read right here in this foundational text is we were meant to take care. We were meant to take care of God's creation. And there's something about when we don't take care of it, we're not who we're supposed to be. So it's not only that we take care of the creation that God has given us, that in essence fulfills our call and our first vocation. In chapter 2, we find a parallel account of creation. And it says, take care of it. So what does this mean? 
It means we manage this beautiful creation the way God intended. We live on the land that God has given us with a humble heart and a spirit of gratitude for the way it provides for us and nurtures us. We need God's creation for our very lives. No matter how advanced technology may get, we cannot exist in an artificial world. Let me say that again. No matter how advanced technology gets, we cannot exist in an artificial world. And by the way, who would want to? So you were made for relationships with God, with others, with creation. Another thing we see here about bearing this image is we were made to reflect God's image. When we read that we were all, each and every one of us, made in the image of God, that we're placed here on earth to bear God's image in the world around us. And when we read this, we realize this, how just high this call is from God. In our Digging Deeper class, based on the themes of John, N.T. Wright covers this beautifully in one of the sections. And he says, my paraphrase here, Genesis chapter 1 is describing a temple of sorts. Creation is a temple. Heaven plus earth. And in the ancient world, when a temple was built to a pagan god, the very last item placed in that temple, in the pagan world, the very last item placed in that temple would be an image of the god so you can see who that god is and so you can see to whom that temple was built. And so we see in Genesis the careful and methodical building of creation in these six beautiful stages and then the final act of creation is to God for God to place God's image in his temple which is you and me and that means we have a powerful role to play a powerful job to do and that is to live in such a way that brings praises from others not to us but to God as God's image bearers we're meant to live in such a way that people Praise God. N.T. Wright goes on to say, we are creatures of earth made to share in the life of heaven. We are creatures of earth made to share in the life of heaven. And this is a high and holy call. And it is an awesome responsibility to reflect the image of God in the world. Now, of course, we know the author of Genesis here is not referring to a physical image. God is spirit. But to bear the image of God means that the way we live our lives will describe to the world what God is like. And we want this to be a good reflection. I was perusing the internet this past week, and I found a site that had retro Halloween costumes. Back in my day, Halloween costumes were not as elaborate as they are today. They had these plastic masks that the eye holes never lined up and they would sweat inside and and then they had these rubber bands that would hold them on they'd always roll up and pull your hair anybody have those it was off they were awful and i hope kids didn't get hit by a car because you couldn't see out of the things the only thing that kept it on my face was the three musketeer at the end of the bucket you know but that's that's what i was looking for But it would not be unusual for these costumes not to look anything like the real thing. Michael, will you put a few of those up there? Like, look look at these poor kids. What did their parents do to them? The kid on the end, he's he's supposed to be a baseball player, but then he's a skeleton, right? So that don't work. And look at this. This is really retro here, this one here. 
the top, it'd be your top right, my top left. That, that's something wrong with that. I mean, I'm telling you, you could send these kids straight to the counselor's office after this thing. They don't look anything like the image. You can take that one down too. <laughs> Nothing. How far are we off the real thing? That's a big question for each one of us. How far am I off the image of God that I reflect to the world? Are you a merciful person? Do you reflect God's mercy to others? Are you a forgiving person? Do you reflect God's forgiveness to others? Are you committed to being kind and honest and good in the way you treat others? Do you live with love for the world? Do others see and experience the love of God through you? The hard reality is that we know we don't always reflect God's image well, do we? And we see not long after our first parents were placed in the garden, we see that they sinned. And when they sinned, they marred and they scarred the relationship or the image that they bear to the world. Sin keeps us from living up to the image that God has given us. Sin, to use another analogy, tarnishes this image. That's why we see this interesting dynamic going on in our culture today. Some people say, I really like Jesus, but I don't know if I like his followers. I really like Jesus, but I'm not sure I like his church. And in the minds of some, Christians are no longer a good representation of the image of God, at least in their mind. It's the perception. If you've been following the baseball playoffs, you may have noticed a series of commercials titled, He Gets Us. Has anybody noticed those at all? This is a $100 million ad campaign that is trying to help people get to know Jesus and to correct the misperceptions about Jesus that are prevalent in the world today. The foundation that is funding the campaign has done extensive research and has discovered that while many Americans like Jesus, they are skeptical of his followers. John Lee, one of the chief architects of the campaign, said, organizers hope to start a movement of people who want to tell a better story about Jesus and act like him. He goes on to say, our goal is to give voice to the pent-up energy of like-minded Jesus followers, those who are in the pews and the ones who aren't, who are ready to reclaim, get that, who are ready to reclaim the name of Jesus from those who abuse it to judge, harm, and divide people. And one of the things I read about this campaign is that for the very first time that an ad campaign has gone out in the name of Christ, For the very first time, those who are organizing the campaign, they're not necessarily trying to send people to a church because they know that in the perception of some, that many churches have lost the ability in how they reflect the image of Jesus to the world. It's really fascinating. Take a look at one of the ads. A young mother had a son a kind-hearted boy who always tried to do what's right. As he grew older, he worried about others more than himself. 
Whenever he saw anyone suffering, he tried to heal and comfort them, but more people became sick. Disease ravished the land. People were quarantined, isolated. Many didn't survive. It became too much, and he had to isolate himself. He cried as he thought about all the unbearable things the people were going through. The mental anguish racked him with sorrow, but it was his cross to bear. I hope you will join me in praying for the success of this ad campaign that will culminate with an ad during the Super Bowl uh, coming up in a few short months. Let's get real this morning. We have all scarred the image of God in our lives through sin. Not one, no one, not one of us is the perfect image of God. But hear the good news. Through Christ, you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be healed and you can be cleansed. He will wipe the stain off your soul and give you the grace and healing and power you need to bear his image in the world and live for him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He will bear his image through you as you yield to his power and as you yield to his grace. You were made for relationships. You were made to reflect God's image. And then lastly, you were made to represent God to the world. Now, I know to reflect and to represent are very similar, but I want to draw a light distinction here. To reflect is to live in such a way that others see Jesus in us. I'm using this term to represent here, to connect with the call to do the work of God in the world. Again, Professor Wright says, our vocation is to sum up praises to God and bring the wise, generous stewardship of the Creator to bear upon the world. I absolutely love that call on our lives. It's to sum up the praises of God and to bring the wise, generous stewardship of the Creator God to bear upon the world. That's what it means to be truly human. It is to do the work of God in the world today. Let's go back to our Halloween idea just one more time. It would be like the kid who's dressed as Superman. It'd be like if this kid could all of a sudden be faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a speeding locomotive, and leap tall buildings in a single bound. But we know that's not going to happen tomorrow, is it? No, the kid's just going to go knock on doors like everybody else and hopefully get candy, and then after that, it's over. But the image you are called to bear, you also have the power to bear it. The Holy Spirit in you gives you the power to do the work of God in the world today. Is there someone that needs to hear a healing word of encouragement? You have the power to offer that word. When Christ changes your life, you're given all you need to bring His justice, mercy, and compassion to bear on the world. God has called you to bear His image 
And when God calls you to something, God will equip you to do it. God will not leave you without the resources to bear His image to the world. The power is for you, through your Creator God, through your Redeemer Jesus, and through your Advocate, the Holy Spirit. So image bearing. Let's don't be like Halloween and just one day and then take the costume off or take the image off. Let's accept this call this vocation in our lives, to bear this image every minute the Lord gives us breath. You were made for relationships. You were made to reflect God. You were made to represent God in the world. I told you at the beginning, it will lift and change your life. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this high and holy call that you place upon our lives to bear your image to the world. Thank you, God, for, for calling us to be your ambassadors, to calling us to be on your team, for calling us to be your image bearers. Lord, we know that we have not always lived up to the image that you've called us to. We know that, that we have all sinned and we fall short of your glorious image. And so, God, by faith, we not only confess these sins to you, but by faith, we trust and we receive your forgiveness. We trust and we receive your healing. We trust and acknowledge, God, that it is not by our power, but it is by your power in us that the world will see you that it is Christ living in us, Lord, that we want people to see. So Lord, as for each one of us in this room today and watching online and, and watching online later this week, Lord, for our church, we pray that, that when we bear your image, that people will be drawn to Jesus. We pray that the image that we reflect, the image that we represent, would be pleasing to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.